Thank you for listening to the Matt's Movie Reviews podcast, available on Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and Stitcher. Also, please follow Matt's Movie Reviews on Facebook, YouTube, LinkedIn, Reddit, Instagram, and MeWe. And of course, be sure to visit mattsmoviereviews.net for the latest reviews, top 10 lists, and more. Now, on to the show. work night shift? No. Nope. Just you. You, you, you. She's stuck in here. Let's find her. She in here. She's gone. Hello and welcome to the Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast. I am your host, Matthew Perkovich, and this is episode number 505. Releasing March 3 in theaters across the US is Hunt Her, Kill Her, a survival horror thriller that tells the story of a night shift worker at a factory whose first night on the job brings with it unwelcome guests in a form of masked men vying for her head. An intense indie genre film in which a twisted game of hide-and-seek is played out in a resourcefully used setting. Hunt Her, Kill Her also marks the latest film from directors Greg Swinson and Ryan Thiessen, who I'm glad to say joins me now on the podcast. Greg and Ryan, thank you so very much for your time today. Yeah, Thank you for having us. Yeah, thanks. So, Ryan, I wanted to ask you first, you know, I've talked to a lot of indie, indie filmmakers over, over the years, and, um, you know, one of the main key components of being an indie filmmaker is to be resourceful. And a lot of times you have to use what you've had. So I've talked to filmmakers who've had access to a cabin, who've had access to a house, who had access to their great aunt passing away and leaving a little bit of money behind to help out with the budget. You guys had access to a factory, um, a operational furniture factory in Tennessee, you know, as a matter of fact. How did you get access to that? Is that some place you worked before? Do you know people there? How did it all come about that you can not only know of this place, but you can actually utilize it for the setting of your film? Yeah, we um, <clears throat> had a, basically we're looking for, you know, our next film to make. And we had a couple of failed projects along the way. And then we sort of realized like, oh, wait, we have a really good connection to this you know, the gentleman that owned this factory. And actually I did work there when I was in college. Uh, I worked as a gopher, kind of drive the van around, go pick up stuff and mm -hmm. sweep the floor. It kind of, kind of did a little bit of what our main character does. Uh, 
swept the floors and cleaned up and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, we kind of maintained that contact over the years. And so we just sort of reached out to him and said, you know, we would really like to shoot a movie at, you know, at your factory, would that be okay? And he was no question. Absolutely. That would be great. And pretty much gave us free reign. So they did run a day shift where they actually made furniture. Um, but at night, you know, five o'clock, they all went home and he was like, you know, once my guys are gone, feel free to come in and do really whatever you'd like, you know, don't, don't break anything, which we ended up breaking a toilet, but <laughs> it was okay. But, um, you know, don't, don't break anything, don't get hurt. And, uh, but otherwise you guys, you know, do whatever you want nights and weekends, uh, the place is yours. So worked out really well and they were very supportive and it was a really great working relationship with them. Greg, does the setting make way to the screenplay or is it the other way around? Did you always think of doing a type of survival thriller or having a setting like a factory and all the like the the opportunities that something like that could have that kind of like give way to, you know what, we could do something really cool here. We're kind of like a, almost like a chase movie within this uh, factory. Yeah, definitely. The setting um, was the first thing we had before we had. So we wrote it, everything within mind with that setting. Um, and the sort of survival thriller is just sort of like, that's kind of our wheelhouse. Um, that's something that we've, we've had other projects that have kind of that similar vibe. So it was like kind of taking that kind of same idea and, okay, so what do you have here? We have a great setting and it was going through the factory and just like, oh, what can we do here? And so a lot of the, uh, sort of set pieces were written just around what was already there and what we could do. Um, so definitely it was uh, setting first and then um, some of the story came after that. Ryan, when it comes to that factory itself, I mean, it's such a really great setting, especially in, in regards to a chase movie or what I called in the intro, a twisted game of like hide and seek because you had these dark corners, you have these hidden places, you can climb up shelves, you can climb under things. Once you know you're filming in there, do you and Greg go around and start mapping out the place? Do you start looking at things and maybe say, that's a good shot for somewhere, that's a cool shot for somewhere, and, and you can kind of like lay that out almost kind of like a kind of like a blueprint of like the, kind of like the tracking shots you want to have for your movie? Yes, absolutely. So we actually shot the film over about our principal photography lasts for about seven months because we'd shoot on, like I said, sort of evening, weekday evenings and weekends. And so, um, and with everybody's schedule and stuff like that, we sort of, you know, we did have breaks in between shooting days. It wasn't shooting every day. So we actually didn't have the whole film mapped out. I mean, we had a script and we knew what we wanted to shoot, but like this chase or this fight, we didn't have it all specifically mapped out before we started filming. So the days we weren't shooting, Greg and I would go to the factory and plan our next, you know, okay, so the next week or two, we'll shoot this chase scene or fight scene or whatever it is. And we would go there and actually map out in the location. Okay, well, here's the blocking. Here's, and then we could shoot it from here, shoot it from here. And then, um, so yeah, we just basically planned it as we went and, um, and specifically for those spaces in the factory, tailored it so we knew exactly what we wanted to do each time we, you know, the camera rolled. And Ryan, just on that, like as, as the editor on the film, are you editing on those off days in between the, those weekend shoots? Yes, very much so. So that was another real benefit to this, the sort of non-typical schedule um, was that we were able to put, a, you know, we go shoot for an evening, shoot for a day, and then I take it back home, 
put the scene together, put the, you know, whatever we shot together and sort of, and see where we were at. And so toward the end of the schedule, we actually built in a couple of pickup slash reshoot days to tidy up some stuff that, you know, it's like, well, this thing, we didn't quite get this moment or we need to clarify this piece or whatever. Um, so we went ahead and built that into the principal photography window, so to speak, um, and didn't have to really come back because we had, you know, once we were done principal photography, we had a full assembly, you know, within a day or two, and then we just worked to refine, refine, refine from there. So, Greg, you know, the places like a factory, these really kind of huge shelters, these huge places, um, of course, when they're open during the day and people are in there and people working, it's a busy beehive activity, right? But when everyone leaves, I imagine, I imagine that the stillness, the quiet in the places are like intimidatingly, um, yeah, are very intimidating in just a way that it can kind of mess in your head in a certain way. And I think you guys really work with that quite a bit. There are moments in the film where the smallest kind of noise, even just innocuous kind of noises, which just comes apart being in a factory, kind of like really work in a certain way to kind of like keep you off your game quite a bit. When you're in there for the first night and you're setting up and everything, did you take note of that kind of that stillness, that intimidating kind of like a weightlessness that places like that has in regards to, you know, the the the, the quiet and the um, opportunity to kind of like exploit that um, quiet nature of a big place like that? Yes. And it wasn't just the first day. It was because we had access to it while we were working on the script. We had been up there a few times and, you know, taken pictures and seen areas that we liked. But one time, there's a few times where I was up there late at night after it's closed down. So you can kind of wander wherever. And there's a lot of cracking and popping. And a lot of it, you know, you know, that's the roof, that's this, that's this. Then all of a sudden you'll hear something that's like, whoa, 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 that wasn't, uh, that wasn't the roof. That wasn't this. Um, so it has that, like, you have a creepy feel to it. And we try to definitely um, exploit that for when she's um, cleaning by herself and she's kind of in that big space. We actually, one night, um, it was just uh, Ryan and I shooting with one of the actors, I think JC. And we were in this little tiny, it's the place towards the end of the movie when he's in the um, the closet. and. So that's this little room off the side. And we heard a noise that sounded like someone just kicked a trash can. And we both like turn out there and JC's in full costume. And we're like, if somebody just came in, that's not supposed to be JC, go, go, go out there. Cause if they see you, then they're going to be, they're going to be as confused as we will oh, be. Cause he's got the mask on somebody. Cause he's in full <laughs> costume. Like, <laughs> but yes, uh, there's definitely, it's very creepy at night. I imagine, Greg, that that's probably a lot of reasons why people who are in, say, like these big mansions and such and report on hauntings that it's not ghosts that's doing it. It's just like the, being alone in this huge kind of space. It just kind of fucks with people's heads and then they kind of, you know, just like a, oh, yeah. it's a psychological, not a spiritual impact, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You definitely, like I said, you'd hear several noises and you know that noise came from something that's probably just happens all the time, but it was new and it was so immediately you think. Somebody else is in here. <laughs> you know, you don't think, oh, it's this or that, you know. Well, and, yeah. and a couple of times we heard noises and it really was someone else in there. Like the plant manager, like on a weekend, they'd come in and do some work and stuff like that. And it'd be like, you'd hear something and be like, what the heck was that? And, let, and then here comes the guy like, oh, geez, okay, <laughs> dude. Oh, yeah. But, yes, yeah. he was moving. Uh, He was moving some cardboard boxes. So you heard that. 
Right. And they were like, that's not, that's not normal. What is that? And we're like peering through the shelves like, wait, there's somebody over there. Oh, it's so-and-so. So. <laughs> Ryan, I want to talk about um, Natalie Terrazino, who's in the movie. She plays the main character of Karen. You guys put her through the ringer in this movie. She's running around anywhere. She's getting chased. She's climbing up. She's going down, bloodied and sweating and everything else. Um, when casting her in the role, did you know just how physical this role would be? Or did you guys even surprise yourselves in a certain way how the physicality of this movie would be? Because it is a movie very much where, uh, say, the first 10 minutes, she's on her toes a lot of times and she has to move around and get away from these guys who are trying to kill her. Yeah, Um so we, we'd actually attempted to work with Natalie on a previous project and that project didn't uh, end up being made. But um, so when we started casting for this one, Natalie was one of the, really the only people we reached out to her, the first people we reached out to, and then she ended up taking the role. So we, we kind of ended casting there, but um, we did give her the script ahead of time. And that was her main, you know, when she came back, we met with her again. She was like, okay, I've read the script. And she actually had a lot of sort of anxiety about the amount of action in the movie. And we're like, we'll take care of you. Don't worry about that. I mean, if you can, if you can physically do it, you know, we'll, we'll guide you through it. And, and really she ended up, I think she surprised herself a bit uh, there and cause she really killed it. No pun intended there, but, um, <laughs> but yeah. So I think we even were able to sort of push it even further than we even hoped uh, originally, but yeah, she was a real trooper and she really didn't complain about anything, you know, no complaints, just what are we doing? Let's do it. And especially once she got her feet wet in the action, she really enjoyed those days. Um, and of course, we all went home just absolutely exhausted because we also shot with a very small crew. So, you know, on those scenes where she's running, there's and, and stuff like that or moving around a lot, you know, like we had a dolly there, but we have our dolly grip running the same speed she's running or I'm running with a camera on a gimbal the same speed she's running. So it was a full, full team effort basically to to capture those scenes and keep the camera moving, keep up with her and keep up with, you know, the, the people coming after and everything. So yeah, it was a, a very physical and uh, it was fun, but it's very exhausting shoot too. Greg, I, I wanted to approach a, a topic that's in the film and it could lead to spoilers. So I may or may not remove this later because I don't get a thing about spoilers, but we'll see how we go here. Um, the title of the film, Hunt Her, Kill Her, the, the optical uh, word in this is her. That's the one that kind of sticks out quite a bit. And that notion of the her in this movie is really kind of prevalent, actually. And like I said, I don't want to give away too much, but there, there is a reason why those men are there in that in that building. Um, and there is an attitude towards um, the Nelly's character of Karen, um, of who she is, known as a person, but also her sex as well. Um, in regards to that, um, how much of the film at that time was kind of like, I think you guys shot this, what, 2020, was it, uh, I'd say, or around that time? Was it earlier? 2019, 2020, yeah. And around that time, really prevalent of the time, was kind of like the Me Too movement and the notion of toxic masculinity. How much of that kind of stuff at the time was really kind of influential in the way that you were approaching the dynamics in regards to gender and sex in regards to these hunt and chases going on in the movie? Um. To be honest, that didn't really influence too much um, because we've had similar projects we've done before or tried to do that have a similar um, balance to them. Uh, there was just, I think there's a little bit of when you have a female hero, which is common in the in the horror genre, um, and you, you place them against um, a bigger opponent. And it's always easy with, you You know, you always think of a 
female is kind of smaller and, and, you know, in physicality, sure. Um, but it's also, I think we kind of approach it almost more like an action movie right? where, um, we want to put our hero up against great odds, you know, um, you know, like in an action movie, you know, you have your hero, they're capable of things, but it's always, well, but there's this many bad guys. So there's, you know, um, the main thing is, it's bigger. It's a Terminator, you know, whatever it is. Um, and so it was more about a underdog, um, rising up, I think, than, um, attempting a, a social commentary. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by TeePublic. TeePublic is the world's largest marketplace for independent creators to sell their work on the highest quality merchandise. With over 1.2 million designs, TeePublic is sure to have something you love. The Matt's Movie Reviews Podcast is brought to you by Amazon, the world's leading online store Amazon is your first stop to buy a wide range of products at competitive prices with fast delivery times. Amazon is also a world-class entertainment hub that includes Prime Video, Audible, Twitch, Amazon Music, and more. Sign up with Amazon today and experience the best in online shopping and entertainment. Please support Matt's movie reviews on Patreon. Get access to exclusive content, request movie reviews and top 10 lists, and help support my work. Please click on the Patreon link in the description below. Um, Ryan, I want to talk about the mask that the that the villains wear in the movie. And masks, you know, it's something that appears quite a bit in movies, especially horror movies, of course. And, and a lot of times they can be the personification of a character that's wearing them. A lot of times they could just be a cool mask. You know, it, just, it can be either way. What was your philosophy in regards to the mask in regards to characters in this movie? Because to me, it kind of felt like, in a sort of way, it felt like almost like an extension of the inner personalities that these characters had. Is that what you guys were going for with this movie as well? Yeah, a little bit. There's also sort of a logistical element to it. So from a story standpoint, um, the masks that we use um, are can be store-bought, we'll say. I mean, they're basically airsoft masks. And, and so it kind of was that one of the characters had them in his trunk already type of mm. thing. And so when they decide to do this, um, they can just sort of mask up and that way that protects their identity in case they're, you know, there's cameras in the building or anything like that. Of course, if you're breaking into a building and trying to kill somebody, it's probably a good idea to disguise your identity. So from a story standpoint, that definitely factored in. Of course, the masks are all slightly different. So that's maybe where it tied a little more into this one fit this person, this one fit this person, this one fit this person, and kind of um and so sort of as the movie unfolds, you know, you might see a little bit of that, why that resembles this person or, or that person. So, yeah, they are they are similar masks, uh, just sort of slight variations on them. And, and so, yeah, it was kind of there is a practicality to it. And then there's also the little bit of story in it. So, sure. Greg, when it came to doing your first film all the way back in 2006, Five um, Across the Eyes, what you and Ryan did there, uh, to now, and I know there was projects in between. You guys tried to start up, and, and it didn't work out for one reason or another. But when you finally get down to the nitty gritty, and you're ready to to shoot, and you got everything ready to go, what lessons do you take from Five Across the Eyes that you bring to Hunter Killer? Because you know, I always find that when I talk to filmmakers, there are also always things to be learned from a feature film. Um, and then when you're doing your sophomore uh, kind of uh, uh, sophomore movie. Oh wow! Yes. Um... 
there was a lot that we learned on that one. Um, and another big thing is the change in technology hmm. that's, um, you know, the, our original movie, we, it was shot on, um, very, uh, like consumer uh, grade cameras. And, um, now just with technology and everything, it made making it easier for us on, in that way that, um, we cause basically the movies cost about the same. Um, and, but you can see if you've seen five guys, you can, and you see this one, you can see there's a huge difference. And a lot of that is just the technology with the DSLRs and editing and what you can do, um, sound wise now that we had a much bigger system back then that, um, didn't quite catch as well. Another thing that we really learned was the scheduling process. The first movie was we shot um, from a Saturday all the way through the weekend, the week, and then through the next Sunday. Um, and we were all living in the same place. Um, it was my parents' house. Uh, me and my brothers and sisters, we had all moved out. So the bedrooms all upstairs were empty. The cast moved in upstairs. The crew slept in the rec room in the basement. Mm. And we'd shoot um, from well, I don't know, what time we start, like five o'clock in the evening, shooting um, in the blacked out garage. Then we'd go out on the road. We'd shoot till 4 a.m. Um, and then everybody would try to crash and do it again. By like day six, we're all, you know, zombies. So in this one, uh, we knew that we wanted to, we were much older now. And so, didn't think our bodies would hold up to that kind of thing either. So another thing was, so scheduling wise, we did it where we'd shoot like a Wednesday night and then a Saturday and then the next week, maybe a Tuesday. And, you know, um, part of that was so everybody could work a day job still Mm -hmm. and people don't get burned out as much. Um, And we could also correct our problems as we went kind of, because we knew we had access to the factory and we could come back and Ryan was editing in between shoot days. So we could come back and be like, uh, and there was a couple of times where it's continuity issue and it'd be like, um, we forgot to have her gender belt on that scene. Mm. And it's like, Oh no, we got so bit in, you know, we just completely or something like that. Um, so we'd have to reshoot it. So we tried to fix as much continuity as we went, um, along Another big thing was in our first movie, I did the makeup and I kind of know how to do some of the stuff, but it took me away and took a lot of time doing the makeup in the first movie. Um, And that was one of the few things that we didn't have a big crew on this one. It was pretty much me and Ryan doing, I handled a lot of the art direction stuff. He handled director photography and lights um, on that side. And then we had our makeup artist who came every single day. She got Natalie into makeup and she would hang around. Um, and sometimes she's pulling the dolly for us. Sometimes she held the boom. Then we had two other guys, uh, Ed and Steve, and they came and helped, uh, here and there a couple of days. But makeup artist was like the number one thing I said, I got to have that. I can't do that. And of course we got somebody who actually was really good at it as well. (laughs) I'll, always, I'll jump in here too and yeah. sorry to interrupt i'll jump in too and say that um i mean if you watch five across the eyes we 
like Greg said, we shot it in like 10 days and we used like three cameras at once and sort of just captured the chaos as it happened and would get through the scenes. And, you know, we were completely exhausted by the end. This one I feel like was much more um, <clears throat> cinematic and intentional. Like we, we really wanted to shoot this. So it looked like a higher end movie. And and so we really took our time with the shooting and that going back and picking up stuff, you know, that maybe didn't quite click. And so we tried again, but, um, but yeah, we really took our time and, and figured out, I think our shooting style for a more traditional style movie. And, um, that was pretty satisfying. I think the end product, you know, get the end of the day and you put it together and it's like, Oh, okay. I think we might have something. So, um, that was a big change for us. Considering the, the long kind of like, um, long gap of years between the both films to be able to have, uh, Hunter kill her due to festival rounds and, and showed in front of audiences. What's that like when you have people reacting to your movie? Because I watched it at home in a screener and it looks great in a small screen. I think it looked fantastic in a big screen because I absolutely love the use of dark uh, dark colors in the movie. I like the different types of um, filming techniques right, from POV shots to tracking shots and everything else in between in the film as well. And it really does kind of take you on a bit of a, you know, not to be too um, generic in my use of the words here, kind of a bit of a thrill ride because you're kind of like in the shoes of, character, of the character of Karen. You don't know who's coming from where and what's happening. Um, when a lot of these kind of things happen on the screen in front of the audience and you're seeing that re- reaction, uh, and it's a question for both of you, what, what's that feeling like to see this movie that you've, you've made, you put all this time in and it's showing in front of the um, audience and they're reacting to it so positively? Because the early reviews have been great. My, my review is going to be in a positive too. I'm sure it's going to be a, such a, um, a, a re- re- um, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Sorry, COVID brain happening here. Um, I'm sure it's, it's such a, a positive kind of experience for you, both of you guys. Cool. Yeah. Um, so going into, so we world premiered at the Chattanooga Film Festival and and we were so excited to be a part of that since we are Tennessee filmmakers and that, you know, so we were sort of premiering in our home state. Um, and that was a virtual festival because uh, we we're still coming off of COVID when that hit so, or when that happened. Um, but really going into it, I was actually really nervous um, just because we'd worked like three years on this film and, you know, you sort of work in a bubble and you have a few people watch it as you can to get some feedback and work on it some more. And, but now it's going to see a bigger audience. And I really wasn't sure how it would resonate or if it would hit or what. And um, the, the cool thing about the virtual festival that I didn't really anticipate is that people would, you know, they'd have a watch party and they would just live chat mm. their thoughts all the way through. So I was getting like a beat by beat reaction throughout the whole movie. Um, and that, and it was very positive and, and people were really going with it. And, and, um, and so that was a really neat experience and it was a, you know, a big relief, I guess, once it hit and people enjoyed it and reacted well to it. And it was like, Oh, okay. Thank goodness. Um, and then we did a, uh, the next festival was the Horror Hound Festival, and this was the first in-person one. And the movie started playing, and we had a pretty decent crowd there. Um, and it was just like, first thing I realized is, wait, I can't hear their thoughts. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> Which just from the virtual, and I got, you know, I could hear everybody's thoughts as they went through the movie, but so to speak. But um, anyway, but then, so then once the action started, though, we started getting vocal reactions to to the different beats in the movie and um and so that felt it was like oh okay good yeah cool people are reacting to it but um the interesting thing though is the the version that went through the festival we actually it was a color grade that i did and sound mix that i did and then um through that well 
after our world premiere, we secured distribution through Welcome Villain Films or with Welcome Villain. And they invested some money into the movie and actually got a new color grade um, done on it and a new sound mix done, sort of polishing the final product. So the version that's coming to theaters Friday, um, I've actually never seen in a theater. So oh, I'll be seeing it on opening night along with everybody else. Um, we've seen, of course, we've watched it as we were doing the edits and everything like that. But um, I'm I'm also very excited to see that version on the big screen and hear the new sound mix. And um, and so it should be should be a lot of fun. Um, final question, and I'm going to pass it off to you, Greg. Um, now that the movie is coming out, and then Ryan was just talking about how excited you guys for the film to come out. Like I said before, early reviews have been very positive. Screen reactions have been very positive. Um, my hope is that the film will start a really good common mentor for both of you to really start get some more projects up and running and, and more things on the way. Um, during that time between Five uh, Across the Eyes and um, in Hunter Killer, you're talking about different projects, you didn't work, different ideas you had. Is the thought processes to kind of maybe go back to some of those older kind of like um, ideas that you had, or are you looking at some more kind of fresh stuff to kind of move forward to and then hopefully get things, uh, the ball rolling again now that um, now post-COVID world, uh, we are getting things back in a kind of normal schedule and a normal running of things? Uh, it's a little bit of both. Um, we have projects that we had that <clears throat> for one reason or another, and a lot of times it's money um, or, you know, whatever, uh, that they kind of, we just have to shelve. Um, and a lot of those are already kind of <clears throat> semi-ready to go. Um, and then we have a couple others that, are more in developmental stage that we've, Hey, that would be, but, um, so we've, uh, been discussing with welcome villain films again about doing another project with them. So, uh, we're hopeful that will happen. And, uh, but yeah, we've got an enormous list of projects ideas. So yeah, really, we'll make another one. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. So really the, um, between the two films, we continued to work and, and yes. develop projects and, and try to get various projects off the ground. So, um, so yeah, we have a little bit of a backlog now of uh, scripts and ideas. And so I think, you know, when we, when Five Across the Eyes came out, we didn't really have a whole lot in development, but it was kind of like, you know, we tried to develop some things, but by the time, you know, they just eventually fell apart. So um, now I feel like we're a little more prepared uh, to move forward. And like Greg said, there's maybe an opportunity to work with Welcome Bill and we've already started talking to them, but we were, you know, already kind of, we had a few projects in hand already that we could pitch. And so, yeah, we're, um, we appreciate the support you're throwing our way. And um, we hope we can, we also hope we can utilize this and, and continue to make movies and it doesn't take another 15 years. That would be tough. <laughs> Well, uh, I I I severely I hope so as well because I really loved how to kill her. I think that what you guys did with this movie, especially the way that you utilized the factory and it made it such an effective kind of playground for that the carnage that shows on the screen is really well done, and the intensity and the performances of of the of the acting is really, really well done as well. And uh, for everyone out there listening, March third in theaters across the US, hunt her, kill her, go out there, watch the film, take your friends with you. Have a time with it. I think you, everyone's going to is really going to enjoy this movie, whether you're an action fan, thrill fan, horror fan, or everything in between. It's a really cool film. You know, support this independent film and support and Greg and Ryan because I think uh, you guys have a real good visual eye and great ideas as well. And I want to see more from you both. And hopefully, when that happens, we can talk again because it's been a, a pleasure to talk today. So congratulations to both of you and best of luck with the film's release. Oh, thank you. Thank you very much. And 
thank you for the kind words and for having us. And we'd, we'd love to come back anytime.